I thank God for our musicians and for all who have led us so beautifully in worship today on this second Sunday of Eastertide. And during this time of Eastertide, between Easter Sunday and Pentecost, we're having a sermon series called Ramifications of Resurrection, which is focused on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 through 8. Today, I'd like to highlight 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. I will read from the New Revised Standard Version, and the title of the sermon is Resurrection Power. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul addresses a problem in the Corinthian church. I used to think the problem was that some of the Corinthians did not believe in Christ's resurrection. But that was not the problem. They believed Jesus arose from the dead. The problem was they did not believe in the general resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in their own resurrection from the dead. They did not understand the vital connection between Christ's resurrection and their own. For this reason, Paul was quite concerned that they may have believed in vain. The key to understanding the text is to know that the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers are inextricably connected. Listen to verse 13. 
If there is no resurrection of the dead, read here the general resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. Listen to verse 16. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If one is false, says Paul, so is the other. And if this is the case, he says, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, and those who have died in Christ have just perished. This sounds like bad news. However, the discouragement of verses 12 through 19 gives way to the uplift of verse 20. The despondency of verses 12 through 19 gives way to the consolation of verse 20. The gloomy despair of verses 12 through 19 gives way to the dazzling hope of verse 20. Verse 20 begins with the word, but. This tiny term might be the most consequential conjunction in the history of literature. But when we hear that word, we know the tide has turned. But when we hear that word, we know a reversal is underway. But when we hear that word, we know that what has been said is about to be overruled. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Is there anything else that needs to be said at Eastertide? Perhaps there is. Remember our principle of interpretation. The resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers are inextricably connected. So Paul says in full but, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. There it is, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers bound together. If one is false, so is the other. But if one is true, so is the other. Paul declared that Christ's resurrection was the first of many to come. The initial fruit of an expansive harvest that would burst forth from the ground. Since Christ was raised on the third day, Christians will be raised on the last day. Since Christ found life on the other side of death, so shall his followers find life on the other side of death. Christ's resurrection is a preview of our own. Christ's resurrection is a foretoken of our own. Christ's resurrection is a guarantee of our own resurrection to everlasting life. So there is something else that needs to be said at Eastertide. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, and so are we. We are risen indeed. It reminds me of the first time I saw jumper cables in action. One car wouldn't go anywhere because its battery was completely dead. It would not crank at all. The other car 
had plenty of power, enough to share. So the car with power, the donor car, pulled up very close, right next to the car without any power. Then the cables were connected from one car to the other, and the donor car gave such a charge of energy that it jolted the other car to new life. It cranked right up and was ready to run with fresh power. The resurrected Christ likewise has a surplus of power, plenty to share, and he offers to donate all the power we need. When we connect with the risen Christ through the cables of faith, we can receive a charge of his resurrection power, and we can get a whole new vitality, a whole new strength, and a whole new life. The power it took to open Jesus' eyes from the sleep of death, the power it took to raise his crucified corpse from the dust of the earth, the power it took to roll that huge stone away from his tomb, that type of power is available to us here and now. This spiritual power can jolt us to a higher level of living. Colossians 3.1 says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is. Romans 6, 4 adds, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Through faith, we are empowered to seek the things that are above, to rise to another platform of existence, to function in a whole new way. We are no longer governed by indifference, we can operate in love. We are no longer doomed by despair. We can proceed with joy. We are no longer stifled by distress. We can flourish in peace. Unfortunately, we sometimes suffer from the same problem the Corinthians had. We mentally agree that Christ arose from the dead without understanding the power of the resurrection in our own lives. We see the resurrected Christ as distant, detached, and disconnected from us. We might even think to ourselves, yes, Christ was raised from the dead long ago, and yes, I'd like to be raised to eternal life when I die, but don't let the resurrection get too close to me right now. There's no telling what it might do to me. But what if we became more fully connected to Christ through faith? What if we truly operated in the alternative way of the Savior? What if we allowed resurrection power to jolt us to a higher level of living so that we treated everyone regardless of background demographic or status as a precious creation 
of God. There's a high school football coach in Texas named Chris Hogan. Several years ago, he was preparing his team at Grapevine Faith High School for a home game against Gainesville State School. Gainesville is a maximum security correctional facility. Every one of their players has been convicted of some crimes, such as drugs, assault, robbery, and the like. Every game they play is an away game, and armed officers escort them from the bus to the field and back. Coach Hogan, who is a Christian, wanted to do something kind for this opposing team. He thought it would be good if some of his own fans at Faith High cheered on the other team just for one night. According to sports writer Rick Riley, Coach Hogan sent out an email asking his fans to cheer for the other team at the game. Here's the message I want you to send, Hogan wrote. You are just as valuable as any other person on planet Earth. The night of the game, the fans of Faith High made a 40-yard spirit line for the Gainesville players to run through. They even made a banner for the Gainesville players to burst through at the end of it. Half of Faith's fans, about 200 people, sat on the visitor side cheering for the Gainesville players by name. The Gainesville players were confused at first, but then amazed. In the end, they were deeply moved. Even though Faith walloped them 33 to 14, the Gainesville kids were so happy that after the game, they gave their head coach a sideline squirt bottle shower like they had just won the state championship. Both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray, and a Gainesville pray player surprised everybody by volunteering to say the prayer. Lord, I don't know how this happened, he said, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. In this instance, the power of the resurrection galvanized a high school football team and its fans and jolted them to a higher level of living. It wasn't so much the power to do something more as it was the power to do something different, something higher, something transcendent. We can likewise connect with Christ and receive a transformative surge of resurrection power. We can tap into that power that rolled the stone away. We can tap into that power that lifted the crucified one from the dust of the earth. We can tap into that life-giving power that God offers to believers. We can become champions of justice. We can become lifters of the downtrodden. We can become bearers of grace, proclaimers of good news, ambassadors of love, transmitters of joy, practitioners of peace within this troubled world. Even as we embrace our present connection to resurrection power, we dare not underestimate its impact on our future. 
If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, says Paul, we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection is not just power for a higher way of living here and now. It is also power to raise us to everlasting life on the other side of the grave. The fullness of resurrection power, the totality of resurrection power will not be ours until the last day when we shall be raised with Christ to everlasting life in the ultimate kingdom of God. My theology professor in divinity school was a Baptist scholar named Frank Tupper. He told the story of his late wife, Betty, who was diagnosed with a life-threatening condition in the prime of her life. The mother of two young children, she received treatment for two years, but then she passed. In the midst of this tragedy, however, the power of the resurrection was manifest. Everyone knew her death was imminent in the last few months that Betty Tupper was alive. She knew it. And she had been praying not for God to save her from death, but for God to take away her fear of dying. In the last few weeks of her life, God answered that prayer. One morning as she prayed, God gave her a taste of the final resurrection, a taste of God's ultimate kingdom. Later that day, she said to her husband, I want to tell you something that happened to me today. I heard children laughing, children laughing on the other side. I knew if I die today or if I stay with you a little while longer, I will enjoy the laughter of children on the other side. Frank says that after that experience, Betty remained disappointed that she was dying, but she never feared death again. The power of the resurrection transformed her. It didn't fix all her problems. It didn't eliminate her suffering. It didn't eradicate her disappointment. The resurrection power does not promise such things. In fact, the resurrected Christ yet had scars to remind us of his sufferings. As the body of Christ, we can be sure that we too will experience the sufferings of Good Friday as well as the joys of Easter Sunday. Resurrection power does not make everything smooth or easy in our lives, but it does offer a higher level of living here and now, and it does offer all the hope we need to face the reality of death. The good news is that Christ arose from the dead and that his resurrection 
is inextricably connected to our own. This is not some fairy tale that's been dreamed up so we don't have to deal with the finality of death. Resurrection is reality. This is not something we heard one time in Sunday school. Resurrection is something we believe deep in our soul. This is not a Christian metaphor for springtime. Resurrection is the emphatic confirmation of death's impermanence. Indeed, Jesus himself corroborated as much when he told the Sadducees that they were wrong to deny the resurrection. He suggested that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who'd been dead 500 years, were still alive because God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. And Jesus went on to say that in the age to come, we will be children of God and children of the resurrection. So let's tap into the transformative power of the resurrection, recognizing that death is not ultimate. Let's claim our victory over the grave, recognizing that death is not triumphant. Let's revel in the joy of resurrection, recognizing that death is not a permanent, for we are spiritually connected and eternally bound to the one who blazed the path to everlasting life, a path we're already on today, a path that will lead us to unending fellowship with God and all the saints, where I imagine we will be laughing into the ages of the ages with all the children of the resurrection. Amen.